All right, on this episode of Bouts Talking Bouts, very excited to be speaking with an individual readying to fight at UFC Fight Night, Rosenstrike versus Gaziev, which transpires on March the 2nd, and a very compelling bantamweight bout set to go down as Javid Basharat and Ayman Zahabi test scales, and great getting to have Ayman on the show. How's your day going so far, man? Everything's been great, man. Thank you. And you? Yeah, no, I've been solid, man. It seems like this is like a pivotal moment for you with where you're at and everything. Like, it seems like some of the headlines I've been seeing heading into this fight are oriented to this being an opportunity almost to crack the Bantamweight top 15. So I would think these are exciting times professionally, for sure. Yeah, it's great. You know, I'm, I'm excited to do so. Like, I don't really know how the rankings work per se, but I feel like we're close. We're both knocking on the door with our three wins in a row. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the rating, the rankings rather are kind of a thing where, I mean, they are arbitrary inherently, but I think there's a certain sense of upward mobility that some kind of take from, you know, being within the, you know, top 15 and stuff like that. So figured it might be cool in that kind of regard, I guess. And yeah, like you said, both you and your opponent are, you know, kind of in that moment too. So a cool trajectory that has brought you guys here. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to see who makes it through, who breaks up, breaks off into the next level. You know, that's basically how, I mean, I basically see it like it's almost like they do like group stages, you know? And like we're both like now, we're, they put us against each other to see who breaks out of this group and goes to the upper tier. You know, so that's how I take it. Yeah, that's some interesting phrasing. It seems like it's almost oriented to like the kind of like martial arts culture you would have come up in. Is that a fair way to kind of characterize that? Yeah, that's how I'm, that's how I see it, you know. Uh, I don't know how it actually works behind the scenes. Like I've never spoken to the UFC or or, the, or anybody about like how it actually works. But in my perspective, I kind of see it like that. No, for sure. It's just it, it kind of like resonates in a lot of the like research that I've read on you and stuff like that. Like I think I was seeing an anecdote with George St. Pierre where you were graded for a black belt in karate and then you got in a tournament after and you ended up winning and, you know, gave him the trophy. So I just figured it was kind of rooted in that there a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a great story too, man. I was so happy because the guy, uh, another, like the, the head instructor at the TriStar for the karate class back then, didn't want to grade me black belt because he's like, at brown belt, for sure you'd win. But at black belt, I'm not sure. So then George is like, what? He's like, no, no, Heyman deserves a black belt. He's that level. He's going to win it at black belt. So George gave it to me, and I went out there, and I did it. And I proved that I belong in that group. You know, so it made me feel really good. That's why I gave him the trophy, because he believed in me. He, you know, he took a chance. He gave me a black belt from him. First GSP black belt, and I, you know, and, uh, I won it for him because he believed also. Yeah, and now you're where you're at. He's doing karate combat with the analysis work. It's just cool to see. Yeah, yeah. I gotta, I gotta try to get on that commentary booth with him. That's what I gotta do. Yeah, is that something you have, like, expressed goals for? Because I imagine you'd be great in a variety of analyst positions through, like, a few different combat sports. Like, obviously, the paramount focus is the competitive endeavors right now, but is, like, analyst work and broadcast work something that holds interest for you? It seems like it. Yeah, it does actually a lot, and uh, it was cool. I did my first show at uh, Unified MMA in Toronto. Actually, the same weekend it was U UFC was in Toronto. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Aaron Bronstetter was doing the commentary. And he he messaged me actually before I even signed my fight. He messaged me he's like, "Hey, would you want to be the third man with me and John Randine for Unified MMA the night before uh, UFC in Toronto?" I said, "Yeah, I would love that opportunity." It's actually, I was looking for a way to get in somehow. 
So, uh, yeah, he hooked me up with that gig, and I, I thought I did a good job, and I really liked it. So, like, actually, I'm planning now to start a YouTube channel where what I'm going to do is basically do, like, uh, I'll buy the UFC pay-per-views and do, like, a alternative commentary as I watch it on YouTube. As I watch it, like, I'll have the camera facing me, and I'll be doing, like, commentary just to practice and, like, you know, see if, get some uh, some feedback from the fans, you know? And then we'll go from there and see how I can build it. Yeah, that was cool. I did see you at that unified card, actually. And it's cool to hear you got so much out of it. And I guess in talking about how there was like the back-to-back -back days in Toronto with great MMA events, as you mentioned, I guess I'd be curious to get your perspectives on this because I feel like I talk to a lot of people who are in the Canadian MMA community to varying degrees. It seems like we're like right on the precipice of another big boom era for the sport in our country is that something you feel as a you know rising competitor in the ufc and all i i feel like that's happening now because we're we're so lucky that there are shows like unified btc bfl also samurai's getting better and bigger uh here in quebec but like all across canada we're seeing these events sorry these promotions that are putting on multiple events a year now and very consistently like samurai now they're having an event uh, you know every few months and it's getting a chance for quebec fighters to get more experience and fight uh, more often in a year whereas before like in my time it was very tough to get fights but the time before me there was a bunch of guys fighting because there was uh you know there was tko there was ucc ugc that all these old leagues but then it disappeared for a while. Like when I came onto the scene, like MMA was like basically banned in Quebec, and I didn't have enough of a record to be flown out anywhere. So for a couple of years, my my career kind of stalled. But now these days, the young guys they have so many more opportunities to fight on different shows. So I think that that's bringing back the lifeblood to MMA in Canada in general. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting you say that because I mean I think a lot of people. I mean, it's, it's a bit more of an anomaly nowadays, like not to say the skill wasn't there, obviously, but like someone being in the UFC with only like six some odd fights under their belt. And obviously the, you know, machinations of like athletic commissions and the lack of opportunity in a certain sense kind of played a role in that. But is that something that almost you're happy to kind of see change in a sense? Like, I guess just even in terms of being able to like foster more development for rising talent and all. Yeah, I'm super happy because, you know, one thing about MMA is that it takes a long time to be good because it's there are three facets to the sport, right? There's the striking, the wrestling, and then there's the jiu-jitsu on the ground. So, like, it takes a long time for guys to get good. And if there are no opportunities to fight or to generate an income, a lot of guys, they walk away from the sport by the time they're 27, you know? And, like, they're not even at your peak, but you have to walk away. Why? Because... Your friends who went to school to be accountants or lawyers or doctors or, or who did trades are really starting to make some money and they're, you know, starting to build a life and a family and buy their first house and, you know, they're able to afford a car now because their careers are, like, really starting to take off. But you're 27 and there's almost no MMA promotions putting on events and there's no money coming in. You can't teach enough privates to sustain yourself. You don't have the sponsors, this and that. Guys end up walking away and they could have been great talents and great prospects. Because the environment, there's no support system to keep them going, keep them running. That, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys who are, you know, who could have been great that we didn't end up getting to see. 
Yeah, for sure. And not necessarily to draw uh, like a direct comparison in any kind of particular way per se, but you talk about how sometimes like fighters get to a point where it's almost like, oh, you know, guys are starting their families. Like maybe I should kind of redirect my focus, but it seems like you're in an incredible place just, you know, streaking in the UFC. And it seems like you have a great family with, you know, twin daughters and just, yeah, I love to see all of that. So like how satisfying is it to see so many things kind of like fall into place with like you said that landscape where oftentimes people drop out before they really get that real chance to settle into their competitive primes yeah well I me mean, for me I'm, I'm lucky i'm super blessed that I, i've been able to do two things at the same time you know build my career and also have a family and uh, and a loving wife and uh, you know i have my house and my things are you know they're, they're rolling now now they're really starting to get going but you know i was poor for a really long time <laughs> <laughs> I was poor for a really long time, and uh, uh, you know, like I, I lived under the gym because I lived at TriStar dorms for a bit, and then I moved from there uh, to uh, under under TriStar to a different apartment, and like my wife moved in with me before we were able to afford our first place and things like that. So like my, I'm lucky that my wife she stuck it out with me. She saw the vision, and uh, I'm, you know my brother was really supportive too. And I have a lot of friends and family who helped me al- along the way. You know I don't really believe like I did all of it by myself. It's just me. It's all easy. You know like <laughs> yeah. it's nothing like that. Like I'm really lucky that my support system has been there. And that's something like I give advice to <clears throat> the the next generation is make sure that you build yourself a good support system and that you surround yourself with people who believe in you and who support you because you're not gonna make it out out there to the UFC by just by yourself. You, you need you need the right coaches who take a chance on you. You need some good friends who like, you know, can help you sponsor you financially. You need uh, if you if you if you're a guy, you have a girlfriend, you need a girlfriend who believes in that because becoming rich in MMA, it takes a long time and not everybody makes it. You know, like I don't consider myself rich yet either, but I feel like okay, I'm in a decent place, like I'm in a good place. But I'm still not rich, you know. So I would love to make it and be rich from from this pro career too, as well. Like I'm happy I got my new contract and the money's getting better. Like a win here can really help, like really set me up very well. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And just like it does take a long time. And actually, I remember one of my accountant was telling me after like uh, uh, a couple of fights ago. He's like, man, he's like, you're one of the you're one of the most frugal fighters in the UFC. <laughs> <laughs> And I started laughing. I'm like, man, I've been poor my whole life. I ain't going back. He's like, I know, but he's like, you gotta spend money. You gotta spend some money. He's like, he's teaching me what I can expense, what I can buy, things like that. You know, he's like, you can buy equipment for the house, or you can train. So I bought myself a treadmill. I bought myself some things. You know, like he really taught me, how, you know, like the ins and outs of you know expensing equipment and things like that. So I can also reinvest in myself and get a little bit of a tax break at the same time. You know, so it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. Like, with, like now I have a good accountant and have all these things working for me. Yeah, speaks to your broader point, too, of like having that great team around you in so many different facets. But I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask more about the TriStar dorm situation there. I feel like anyone I've talked to who's kind of been in that situation has maybe like a funny story or two. Do you have like a funny anecdote or anything that comes to mind with like the TriStar dorm days or anything? Oh my god, yeah, there's so many funny stories. I mean, you put a bunch of guys who fight and who train and have a lot of downtime together, they get pretty creative out there. I mean, uh, yeah, it gets pretty, it gets pretty funny. I'm just trying to think about, like, what's a good story, something that stands out. I mean, well, one thing we used to do, it was pretty funny, is one of, our, one of the guys who came to visit, I can't remember which guy it was, but he brought us uh, a bottle of, of a hot sauce. It was called Satan's Blood. 
And this thing was fire. It was a brutality to have. But ever since he gifted us the bottle, we kept it at the dorms. And anytime somebody came new, it wasn't really like a initiation hazing brutality but we made a fun game out of it like everybody had to try it you know like everybody who stayed at the dorms tasted it and we would like videotape each other's reaction and you'd have some guys vomiting and some guys had you know all these different hilarious reactions so we would do that like we would put some a little bit on on their on their toast or something as like a little <laughs> prank here and there but it was pretty fun pretty pretty funny stuff man it was hilarious if you can find satan's blood you should get it and prank your friends. <laughs> no, I gotta find that now. I was gonna say, it sounds like a blood pact with, like, a bit less commitment, so that's fun. Yeah, yeah it's a brutality. Like, let me tell you something. I, I could never do it again. <laughs> One time is plenty. One time is plenty. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. Definitely something that you get your fill of sometimes. Sometimes the Scoville ratings on those things are kind of crazy, but I guess in kind of redirecting the focus here to the upcoming fight with you know, Javid, Basharat, and everything. I'm just curious to maybe get some thoughts you may have on just, like, his overall, I guess, strength of schedule, like the resume he's had so far in the UFC, and then also maybe some of the better skills that you may have seen he possesses. Yeah, I mean, I think, he's, you know, the best fighter he fought was um, Victor Henry, and unfortunately, the fight didn't get a chance to play out, right? I mean, the first round was pretty close. I think Javid won the first round. But it wasn't a blowout, and I was really excited to see how that fight was going to develop. But, uh, you know, so he fought some other good guys too, and uh, I just think that in terms of Javid, like his strengths are like, uh, basically he has really good cardio, he's got really good footwork, and, you know, he's a very well-rounded fighter. He can shoot, he can defend takedowns, he can get up off his back, get back up to his feet, he grounds and pounds pretty well. I feel like we're two well-rounded guys, and it's going to come down to who has a deeper game, and who can solve the other person's problems more? You know, who can adapt in there? And it's going to be like, this is a fight more for for the uh, the fans who really love fighting in terms of strategy and tactics more than, I think, a uh, street fight. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense. You always have struck me as a guy that talks about the sport in a very analytical, cerebral way. And I was kind of seeing that you were reading the book The Tools and it seemed to impart something to you, that mantra of just loving the pain and how the pain will set you free, but almost adapting it to like loving the fear component. I guess I'm wondering, you seem like a guy who would be an avid kind of reader or like even just taking outside ideas from like the immediate MMA space. Like how much of that, you know, pursuit of seemingly outside knowledge, I guess, benefits what you do in MMA and broadens your perspectives on it? Um, I think it's good because, you know, that's interesting about MMA, and GSP uh, has probably the best quote of all time on MMA. It's not always the better fighter who wins, it's who fights the best that night. And to seek knowledge in these books, for me, it, the, the true benefit is to just put the probability on my side that fight night I am there mentally as much as I am there physically. Because the training camp, you know, I'm busy building my physicality 100%, you know, with the conditioning, with the weightlifting, with the running, with the air bike, with everything I'm doing, you know, I'm also working the skill work, right, I'm going through the movements so that my body can be coordinated, I coordinate my hands and my feet and my head movement for the striking, like I'm doing all this stuff for the physical, for the physical, for the physical, but what can set me free so that I can be my best mentally, because in the end, 
you know, we're in there making decisions. We're making them on a subconscious level, but you have to be able to make those decisions with a clear mind. And I, I seek the knowledge in those books to be able to to perform my best that night because it's, that's the night that matters. It doesn't matter how well I did all training camp. It doesn't really, like I had a fantastic training. I did amazing. I did amazing, but I can go out there and get knocked out in a second. Why? Because I wasn't there. I wasn't primed. I wasn't 100% focused and attentive on Javid while he was right in front of me, you know? So I use those those outside elements to just help me be ready fight night mentally. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the earlier part of your fighting journey, was that something you noticed you had to shore up a little bit? Like, I guess that, like exact like direct focus on the fight i guess it seemed like you were maybe talking about it in a way where it was a bit of a learning curve situation or was that something you almost honed in the gym to be prepared for competition i guess i'm curious about that yeah you know while i was undefeated i had it but when i got ko'd you know like um me so all my fights that i won before my loss uh to carlo ramos i had everything I needed for it to be perfect fight night mentally. But in the Ramos fight, I became too arrogant. Like, I, I almost, like, in a sense, like, you know, believed all the hype. Like, I was riding that hype train. I won my first fight in the UFC. Now, I'm, I'm going to Madison Square Garden. GSP's the last fight of the night. I'm the first fight of the night. He's passing the torch off to me. I can't lose. Things like that. And then, like, as the fight went on, I felt like there was no way he could hurt me like I, when i was taking his punches and i felt like i was able to control the pace after round two and i felt like he, he didn't have the power it took to hurt me and in round three i started doing self-talk in the fight and i had never spoken to myself in the match i usually just keep my mind completely clear and i run off my my, my supercomputer you know we call the subconscious the supercomputer nothing can analyze more information faster than your subconscious. Your conscious is always gonna be slower. And then in the third round, I'm like, I'll talk to myself. I'm like, I got this guy, I'm gonna push him back. Boom, boom, boom. And then like, just as I pushed him that one, the last time when he got, when I pushed him to the fence and he was bouncing back, I told myself, one more left hook, this guy's cooked. And I woke up and I was in the ambulance. I didn't even see the elbow. And that's why he put me out. So then when I lost that way, I kind of lost that, that X factor of, invincibility and then i was searching for like man like uh i could be hurt i could be ko'd you know it could happen to me and then i was scrambling for like confidence and i couldn't find it so then i had the fight after with uh, vince morales and i thought i was ready but i wasn't like i thought i had won the first two rounds and then round three in my mind i'm like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take the foot off the gas and I won the first two rounds. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to get one win under my belt. Next fight, I'll go for it. Next fight, I'll go for it. So I fought like a shell of myself against Vince Morales, you know? And I, and I, and I kind of ended up actually regretting that loss more than the Ramos fight because I didn't fight to my potential. And then that, like, really pushed me to, like, I have to find my, my balance. I have to find my balance, you know? So that's what really got me into the search. And it's interesting because something I was going to ask you about, but I feel like maybe I already know the answer kind of based on a couple things we've been talking about here, because I know some fighters really heavily practice visualization and then kind of get like a predominant visualization of how they see the fight ending. But it seems like maybe you're more of someone who looks to, I guess, try to get in that flow state, like be as 
you know, prepared as possible and then be adaptable with whatever is presented in the fight. Do you think it's more of the former or the latter in that sense? I used to be the type who used to visualize the ending. Now I, I no longer visualize how I want it to end. Uh, I, I just want I just visualize the different problems and the different solutions I have to to do it. Because uh, one thing that happened with um, uh, during like the, the 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 Ricky fight, I didn't expect him to come out and move his head so much and do his best to avoid my punches. Uh, the way he did and then when I fought Eric Lang, I didn't expect him to low kick I, I expected him to try to sit back and counter me because I was like in my opinion that was his best weapon it was his right hand he had the most power and then if you low kick someone there's a high chance of takedowns and I'm a I thought I'm, I thought I was the better BJJ guy compared to Eric Lang. and uh, you know like a lot of the, those fights I feel like those guys game plan for me like now it's starting to work like okay guys watch me and they're game planning for me now so i have to have more of a, a general outline from now on and be ready to uh, have a, a flexibility of mind to adapt in the fight so like now me and frost we kind of changed a, a little bit of our strategy so instead of being having a, a rock solid game plan that we never deviate from that we have like more of a general outline i have my routes to victory and if something uh if my opponent calls an audible shows up with with a totally different style i have the flexibility of mind and the confidence to be like oh okay he's coming at me like this i'll just change it now i, I i'll just change the parameters of the strategy and I'll, and I'll still find a way to win and i feel like that's an easier way to keep the confidence in the fight versus being so rigid on my game plan that if he comes different i'm a fish out of water you know so that's how we've adapted so far yeah, for sure, and I appreciate the depth of insight. I'm sure I could ask you a ton of questions and get some great answers, but I want to be mindful of your time. There's other people that also want to talk to you, Eamon. So in kind of saying that, I'm wondering if maybe you have a final parting thought you'd like to add as we're sort of wrapping up, man. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, if you guys want to follow me on socials, it'd be great. And if you want to learn from TriStar, for us, has a website called jujiclub.com, and he puts out jujitsu uh, instructionals, wrestling instructionals, striking instructionals. So if you guys want to train like us, you can go on jujiclub.com and buy uh, Faraz's DVDs. Yeah, it's been a long journey there since the days of Faraz giving you the smacks in the corner during your first amateur fight because he was fired up, eh? <laughs> actually, actually, after my fight against Eric Lang. The first thing he told me when he hugged me is like, if Eric Lang would have got up, I would have slapped you. I said, yes, I know, I know, I finished it. <laughs> no, that's fun, man. Yeah, it's a great connection. And yeah, just love to you know see your story continue as well. And cool to see that next chapter unfurl on March 2nd there against Javid Basharad. And just really appreciate you making the time to talk to me today, Eamon. You have a good rest of your day and looking forward to checking out this fight when it goes down too, man. Thank you, man. I also want to say I appreciate your uh, your interview style, man. I really liked it. It's very different than the usual uh, that I'm used to, and it's a nice uh, breath of fresh air, man. Thanks for the in-depth uh, questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. I just try to have good conversations and try to ask as stimulating of questions as I can. So, no, I appreciate you saying that, man, and just, yeah, hopefully the first of many conversations there, and just hopefully the rest of your day goes smoothly as well, man. Thank you, and you too, man. I really had a great time. Looking forward to our next one.